Good morning, everybody. I just want to begin by reading a psalm, Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and forever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving towards all he has made. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving towards all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will praise, speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and forever. That's a, a marvelous psalm. Our psalms do something. They, they, most of us will sort of resonate with the psalms as we read them, because they impact us in different ways, don't they? I mean, you, you have those songs, those psalms, which say, how long, Lord, will you forget me? Times when you go through tough times, lonely times. Why have you forsaken me, the psalmist would say. But there are other times when he says this, he's put a new song in my heart. And I cried to the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. So when we read the book of Psalms, there's such a mixture, isn't there? It's like the, it goes through the seasons, the spiritual seasons that we all have. Winter, spring, summer and harvest and, and all the emotions that have taken place during those. And the Psalms really speak to us. Psalm 145. Clearly, the psalmist is talking to us very clearly about the God 
who is working powerfully, who has worked powerfully yesterday, who will work powerfully today, and who will work powerfully tomorrow. That's the drift as you read through this psalm. The praise of God will flow forever. One generation will commend the works of the Lord to another. There's this ongoing, continual flow of ministry and life in God. The goodness, the compassion, and the love of God will be experienced continually. The Lord will continue to uphold those who fall. The Lord will continue to hear the cry of the people. The Lord will continue to watch over those who love him. And his promises will continue to be trustworthy. Amen. You get the drift coming through very clearly. And the expression, the kingdom of God, doesn't appear in the Old Testament as such. The prophets look forward to a day when God's rule will be fully experienced, not only in Israel, but in the whole world. And in Psalm 145.13, we have this, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. This morning, we're looking at the God who is alive and active. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion, your sovereign control over heaven and earth, and any power, past, present, and future, will endure forever. <coughs> And so this is the unequivocal truth that comes through the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. And of course, we have in the New Testament that Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, yesterday today, and forever. There's that continuance. Nothing changes. And of course, in Revelations, we come right to the end when Jesus was given uh, John on the island of Patmos the, the vision and he said this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. He comes before everything else, and he will rule sovereignly over human history. That's the very clear truth that comes through the Old Testament and the New Testament this summarizes like this, from the beginning, the alpha of life, to the very end, the omega of life, God is God, and nothing changes. Unchanging in his person, in terms of being almighty, the ultimate authority of heaven and earth, nothing changes. Unchanging in his purpose, it said in verse 8 and 9 of 145 Psalm, the purpose, his gracious goodness and his compassion is available to all yesterday, today, and forever. This continuance. Unchanging in his promises, faithful to all his promises. That's what the psalmist was writing about. And unchanging in his character. The Lord doesn't change. And so this is the crucial flow. As we look in the, through the scriptures, the word of God, we get this unmistakable connection. The God who was, who is, and who is to come, whose kingdom, whose rule, whose power, authority, and might don't change from century to century. Nothing's changed. It's consistent. And the, the importance, the, the unchanging of his character is so important 
Because we have this balance, isn't we, between the God who rules in heaven, the God who's eternal, and yet we know that in all of this, there's nothing changing in terms of who he is, his very nature, his very character. Because if this truth was not there, things would be very different. Our whole basis of faith would fall apart if there wasn't this resting on this unchangeable character of God. Any change would either be what? Good or bad? And if he could get better, then he wasn't the best choice when we first put trust in him. And if he could get worse, what kind of God would he become? And so the whole faith crumbles, but its security is that this unchanging God is absolutely trustworthy. And central to this is not only that, but God actually visits his people. The God who comes, the God who visits his people. And the one who sits enthroned in the heavens in the glory wasn't just content with that. His ultimate desire is to come and to be part of your life and my life and this world. The God who comes... He's not distant, he's not remote, he's not some regal isolation. He's a God who comes to us in whatever situation, whatever challenge, whatever mess, whatever place we may be. The promise coming right through from the beginning is that God wants to be with us. The God who comes. Divine visitation is what God really loves to be about. To visit us, even the King's Church Chesson. Hallelujah. He wants to visit us because of who he is and because of who we are. Not that we're something special, but we've been made by him. We've been created by him. Something has taken place and his desire is to be with you and with me and with us as a community. And the reason being is simply this. Isaiah 43 verse 7 says this. We have been made for his glory. Just think about that. When you think about your life and my life, all the areas we've messed up so much, and the very truth that God has made us for his glory. Isn't that incredible? Just let that sink in for a moment. You've been made for his glory. And the greatest glory that we can ever have is a revelation of who God is. That is the greatest glory that can come. When we see who Jesus is and what he's done and what he will do when he comes back again. And the glory of that, the wonder, my eyes have been opened to see this. My eyes have been opened to understand a little bit more and this hardened heart has been softened to a greater degree to begin to understand just what that is. The king not only demonstrates his kingship, but amazingly he invites me to be part of his kingdom. And I find that incredible. And you could see this, the God who seeks out in Luke 15, there are three parables, and they all basically say the same thing. One is, they come to seek out the sheep that's been lost, the coin that's been lost, 
And there you have the father waiting for the prodigal to come back. And you have this whole thing, the God who's seeking out, no matter who we are and what we've done and where we are in this world, he comes to seek us out. That's the God who is alive and active, not only spoke the truth, but he demonstrated the truth. And where did he demonstrate it mostly? With the coming of Jesus. Wasn't it? That's a demonstration. The supreme love that he has for you and for me is seen when he was willing to give his son to come into this messed up world and our messed up lives and do something, make us new. That is love. That is the active God who breaks into your life and into my life and into this world. John had a problem when he wrote his gospel because he saw that Jesus, yes, Jesus as Savior, that indicates his life and his ministry and purpose, but it doesn't tell you all who Jesus is. And he used the word logos, the one who was from the beginning. So this was God becoming flesh, humanity for me, for you. Incredible. The God who reveals himself. <coughs> Revival and, and eternal hope is always coming from one direction. It's coming from heaven to earth. It's never the other way around. It's not a question of men and women using their intuition, their powers of deduction to discover truth. That's not the way it is. Hinduism gives you a choice to find out your own way. That's why they have 330 million gods. So you have a choice. If you don't like one, choose another tomorrow. See, it's our choice. New Age is similar. Trying to find some higher level within a person, or Buddhism, putting out this whole trying to extinguish desire, it's up to you. But when you and I look at our lives, we read the impossibility of changing. Have you ever seen somebody who's like a drug addict or, or somebody who's been such a terrible mess of life and you go up to them and say, you know, your only hope is for you to change yourself. How devastating, that's a cruel message. That's a heartless message. But God breaks into our world and he says, look, I'm come so that you may have life. You may change. He come to reveal himself to us as the great I am. The heart of God that longs for his world to change and for you and I to change. And the promise has always been through the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, I will open the heavens. Deuteronomy 23, it's talked about, I will open the heavens. You get to this, this is God wanting to open up the heavens and the banquet, all that he has in order to give to you and I. But this comes through revelation. It comes through discovery. It's God opening something, giving us some understanding. Suddenly our eyes are understanding a little bit more and our heart is responding to this God who says, I will come to you. 
Because that's your only hope. You can't change yourself. <coughs> Over the centuries, there have been those who've declared that God is dead. Nietzsche, in 1882, said that. He declared God is dead, stating, this reflects man's disbelief and denial that if there is a God, he is of no use to us anymore. In 1950s and 1960s, Paul Tillich picked up on this, the same thing, and said, God is dead. And over the years, there have been many people who've declared that. Let me give you some interesting headlines. On April the 8th, 1966, Time magazine, on its front cover story is, Is God Dead? Question mark. Don Hamilton, who was only 12 at the eighth time, was asked, does your dad believe in God? His dad was, by the way, a professor at a Christian uh, university. And his answer was this, I think my dad would say, no, God is dead. There was a lot going around at that time. The South China Post in August of the same year said Christianity <laughs> is dead in China. On the 14th of August of the same month, they wrote in Shanghai, the last records of Christianity in Shanghai, uh, in Shanghai has been written. It's now over. Donald Treadgold, in 1973, wrote this, the evangelicals, the few Chinese converts, have now been swallowed up by history. And in 1976, the South China Post said this, Christianity is dead in China. What an incredible statement to make. Is that true? Just look at China today. 120 million born-again Christians? But that has been man's perspective. And even at a superficial glance, you can talk to people on the street who don't go to church anymore, and they say, well, of course, Mike, if you look, just even today, there's estimated that 40% of the people in the UK do not believe in God, or even that there is a God. And that would seem to sway towards, wouldn't it? The thinking of Nietzsche and Tillich and others. But we know that's not the case because there's one scripture which will always say, it says in Romans 1.19, it says this, that the truth and knowledge of God is known instantly for God has embedded this knowledge in every human heart. That's what we were created for. It's called a soul or a spirit. And Luke 1, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The God's spirit in a person, that's what we were made for. That's what we were created for. That's the purpose God had in you and I being able to respond as our hearts are changed and our eyes are opened and our understanding of truth becomes real, that we then would join Mary in saying, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God's my saviour. 
But I ask myself the question, if truth and knowledge of him is written on the hearts of every human heart, what's happened and what is happening in the world today? And I want to share a few things with you this morning for your encouragement, so that at the end of the day, we would do this, we would lift up our eyes unto the Lord and open up our hearts that, that he would be gracious enough to open a little bit more of heaven over me, over us, over this town, over this nation, over this world. And that's the reason. And you can travel back. I could go that every single century, from the first century right up to the day when God has been active in this world. You can do the research yourself. There's not been one century where God hasn't been working powerfully in all kinds of people, not in a specific kind of person. All kinds of people, all different nations. Let me take you back a few hundred years. 1727 was the first time the Moravian community began to pray and to believe and come to a place of repentance and reconciliation, one with another and with God. And something began to happen at that point. And God's spirit began to move powerfully. It began a prayer meeting that lasted every day for a hundred years. That in itself is a miracle. And we see then the move of God amongst these. They sent missionaries all over the world. There was one man who said this. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering as he volunteered as a young Moravian missionary to be a slave to reach the slaves. God must have worked powerfully. In, in real. You don't do that if it's just a figment of your imagination. This is God impacting and changing lives as he always wanted to do. And of course it affected it affected America, it affected England. You had people like Edwards and Whitfield and Wesley. Just think of the impact. Millions of people were impacted by the gospel. Why? Not because they were great, but because God by his spirit was working through the truth they were preaching and lives were changed and it's demonstrated that God who's active was working powerfully in the lives of people. You could go on to 1792, the next awakening, which lasted about 30 years. It impacted a different kind of impact. It brought missions right up into the forefront. British and Foreign Bible Society, the London Missionary Society, Church Missionary Society, William Carey going to India. There was a move of God. This was another indication of the God who's alive and active and coming into our lives to change this world and to change you and I. In 1830, there was another move of the Spirit of God. Charles Finney, you may have read about him. If you haven't, you should do. There's amazing accounts of God dealing with a man and using him. It affected England and Scotland as well as America. The likes of George Muller, Murray, Robert Murray McShane. It spread across into Scandinavia, Central Asia, Africa, Pacific Islands, India, Malabar, Sri Lanka different places. This was God at work in people's lives. This wasn't something man was manufacturing. This was the Spirit of God taking truth and burning it in their hearts that they had to share it. And as they shared it, it was like fires taking place all over the place. Fires of God beginning, a new beginning in lives. 
1857 was probably the greatest in terms of numerical response. It began in Canada, where I was a few weeks ago. And we saw it begin to move then across down into America. In the space of two years, one million people had been born again. The power of the Spirit came across into England and Scotland, and another 750,000 people gave their hearts to Jesus at that time. What does this speak about? A God who's active and a God who's alive and a God who's so passionate about you and me that he doesn't want any of us to perish, but all of us to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Go through into 1880, the likes of D.L. Moody, the Cambridge Seven, C.T. Studd and all others CMA was founded, Christian Endeavor, Japan had revival, China Inland Mission suddenly had a flood of missionaries wanting to go to China to give their lives to reach the Chinese. Then, of course, it came into 1904, 1910, Dai's country, Wales. <laughs> and we saw just 70 countries around the world impacted through what started in Wales. God who's alive. 70 nations around the world, from Patagonia to New Zealand and everything else. This was the move of God. This was the move. And this is the God who's still alive. Nothing's changed. His love and compassion for you and I has not changed one little bit. And his love and compassion for the world has not changed. And the Spirit of God wants to move afresh. And during that time of 1904 to 1910, of course, you had the Azusa Street coming in the birth of Pentecostalism, 1906 to 1915, which was going to impact the world. And 500 million of the 2 billion people today are Pentecostals who've been impacted by the Spirit of God Martin Luther said this, revival is always God's action, it's not man's. It's God pouring out his spirit. It's something quite out of the ordinary and something special, unusual and exceptional. And even to unexpected people. I shared this story, I think about five years ago, I want to share it again because I love sharing about the Sawi people. They were headhunters in Papua New Guinea. And we have this story of Don and Carol Richardson, two Americans who felt called of God to go to this unreached tribe, never heard the gospel, never seen a white man person before. And he went over into this Sawi tribe. He learned the language. And he started sharing the, the, the Easter story with the Sawi people. And it came to the point where they were all listening so quietly, intently. It came to the point where he talked about Judas betraying Jesus with a kiss. And at that point, the Sawi people shouted and praised, Judas is a real Sawi. For that's what we do. We trick people into being friends and then we kill them and eat them. 
That's the what we do. Judas was a real hero. And Jesus was nothing to them. And Don thought, how on earth am I going to get the message with this kind of background? And then a little while later, there were three tribes that had been killing each other for years. And they were having a battle. And then he noticed something towards the end of the battle. Each tribe brought a young child called a peace child. Not to be slaughtered, but for each tribe to have to take the responsibility to look after that child to maintain the peace. And then the penny dropped to Don. Then it came very clear, the peace child. That's what Jesus did. So he went back and he retold the story again to the people. And then they realized that actually Judas had betrayed what they called a tarot child, a peace child. And Judas was now the greatest enemy. And Jesus was the one that they now turned to. Amazing that that impact, they built a thousand-seater church, and they called it the House of Peace. And as I was reading that, there was one old man, he said this, he was reflecting on the ancestral words given many, many years beforehand, it said this, when immortality returns to mankind... Those who learn its secrets first will come over the mountains and tell you that secret. Their skins will be white because they're continually renewed like the skin of a snake. Be sure to listen to them when they come. Otherwise, my skin, your skin, immortality will pass you by. That was the word given right years before in that tribe. You see, what had happened... Their judo-Christian world they knew nothing about, but God within their culture had planted something. And within their hearts too, this template to worship the true and living God, alive and active in so many different ways. A few weeks ago when I was in Canada, I had an opportunity to meet with people who were working in Asia, in the Middle East, in America, in Canada, in South America as well as in Europe. And I spent time with a man who was 88 years of age. His name, uh, Wilma and I have known the family for years. He'd given his life to working in Indonesia amongst the Batak people. And he was telling me before he came, the American missionaries had all been beheaded and eaten before he came to, to this, this tribe. And he told me now, over the years, how God has worked brilliantly. And today, in that tribe, there's over four million born-again Christians. God who's alive and active in his world. I heard of Muslims and Imams in the Middle East coming to Christ, causing an enormous stir. But the power of the gospel and the life of Christ and by the Spirit of God visiting, this was taking place. Can you imagine the impact that that would have? I heard of the church in Iran, which is being just transformed, although it's illegal to be a Christian, and yet the rapid growth of the church. How can that be? 
other than that God is alive. His word is truth and his spirit brings the promises and truth of God into the reality in people's lives. There was also girls and people from Brazil. Friends of Wilma and I, who we've known for years, Ronaldo and Rosani, Lodorio, who've been church planters, now living in Manaus, in the kickoff point, the Amazon region, working amongst Indian Amazons. And he was, they were saying about, just recently, they wanted to have a conference with two to 500 people coming in Manaus, out of the jungle, to come together to have this, this meeting together of leaders. And he said, two to 500 people didn't come, 5,000 people came. Out of the jungles, who'd been born again of the Spirit of God, who wanted to see Christ honored around the world, coming together. How can we pray for Europe? <laughs> this is the God who's alive and active. You see, it's not just a few people. I read just this week of a man called Hormos Chariot, a research scientist in artificial intelligence, born a Muslim and born in Iran. His life changed. He's now called the Billy Graham of Iran. <laughs> That's a miracle. Miracle that he's still alive. And a miracle that his gospel, he's reaching people in America, Muslims with the gospel, and seeing people come to Christ. God is alive. There are many others you could talk about. Ex-Prime Minister of Indonesia, ex-Prime Minister of Argentina, all Muslims now believers. The story would go on. Different people, different cultures, different backgrounds, different level of education, rich, famous, unknown, yet one way, one truth, and one life unites them all together. The question, if God is alive and active, how can I connect more with him? I've reflected on that often over the years because there have been times when I've drifted away even when it didn't look like it to anybody else, you know in your heart, there are times when your knowledge exceeds your experience by an unhealthy gap. And you suddenly realize, God, something needs to change. I want to change. I want that gap to be lessened. I want your spirit to come afresh into my life. Want something to take place. And I think as a church, that's where we're at. There is this, this desire. But there's always one thing to understand. God is seeking you. Okay. The Holy Spirit is active, desiring to open up your life and my life to the truth of the word of God. But it says something so important. You are significant and important. All the negatives you take on board, people say, the world says, 
Everything is in the shade by this wonderful truth. By God seeking you, he's saying, you know, you are really, really, really special. Secondly, it says this. There's only one, one way. Whether you're an ex... Um, what would you say? An eater of missionaries? <laughs> or whether you're an ex-prime minister? And I suspect there's not too many people like that here this afternoon. <laughs> Although there looks like a few dodgy characters. <laughs> <laughs> There's always one way. It's repentance and faith in Jesus. Mm. When the Moravians started, they learned those basics again. Get your life right. Get your life right with others. And start seeking the Lord with all your heart. And the fresh breath of the Spirit of God can come to you. And it can come to me. I want to read, just finished a few verses from Psalms again. Don't give up. That's one thing. Don't give up. Trust in the Lord. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe part. Delight yourselves in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. That's where it begins. That's where a new day comes. Allowing God to cleanse you, allowing God to do a new thing in you. And the desire of your heart, Lord, will you open up the heavens and pour out your spirit, even on me and on us. God is alive and active. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he's seeking you and he's seeking me that we may change, honor and glorify him. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you this morning. Though I understand little of the wonder and the depth of what it meant for you to come and to live and to die and to value me as a person, I just revel and thank you for that truth that you've given by your spirit embedded in your word and Lord I embrace it today will you open up the heavens over my life will you come and breathe a new breath of life into me will you help me to be honest and open not secretive not thinking all is well when it isn't but Lord give me that that hunger and that thirst like that deer longing for the waters of life. Father, will you do that to us? Will you continue to move in our lives in this church, in this town, in this nation, in this world? And glorify your name. We long for the day when we will see you face to face and then be with you forevermore. Until that time, Lord, will you come and do a new thing in me? In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 As the band just comes out, just a couple of things.
The world needs to see people who've gone through tough times and yet who've come through the other side. Praising God. Sometimes there's a gap in that. We don't know how long it's going to be in that. But we commit our ways to the Lord. He's got a perfect plan for you. A perfect way through the next stage of this journey. But we need to trust him. Hunger after him. And ask the heavens to be opened over our lives for his glory. Amen.